Welcome to Alchemical Dialogues, an Amber Light podcast. Join Dr. Henry Cretella and Tanya de Magalon for their discussion on Art as a Spiritual Force for Change. The information provided on this website and these podcasts is for informational purposes only. Nothing on this website and in these podcasts is intended to be a substitute for medical, health, therapeutic diagnosis or treatment. The opinions expressed by the guests in these podcasts are not necessarily the opinions of Amberlight International and anyone associated with this organization. So welcome, everyone. And welcome, Tanya. Hi, everyone. Thank you for having me here, Henry. It's a pleasure to talk with you. Uh, We've been talking for a while about doing this, and I'm really excited. So for people who are listening or who haven't met Tanya before, Tanya is a good friend. She's an artist locally in Rochester, but she comes from Mexico. She recently accepted citizenship in the United States. We were privileged to be with her. But she went back to her roots, and she found out that she's from a lineage of female leaders and healers. And her artistic talent started very early, and she took some private lessons and then attended prominent art institutions in Mexico City the San Carlos Academy and the National Institute of Fine Arts. And she continued pursuing her artistic endeavors, moved to the States, was in Chicago for a while. She then moved to Rochester and she's been involved in many collaborative projects, painting and producing artwork. She's had exhibits locally in Rochester. She's been part of um, exhibits with collaboratives. And then she decided she wanted to do more So she earned her BA in visual arts from SUNY Empire, where she studied visual arts and psychology. And now she's earning her master's in mental health counseling at SUNY Brockport. So when we were talking about this, Tanya said that she believes that mental health, spirituality, and the arts are interwoven. And she also has chosen art as a way of exploring her roots. And as she's done that, she's been more in touch with the emerging feminine and has been really sensitized, partly because of her immigrant status, as to the effects of neocolonialism and what happens when people like herself emigrate and have to come into a new country and the way they're treated, the way we treat people. All of this comes through her artwork, which is just astounding to me. And you'll get to see some of her artwork. For those of you that are listening, when we do talk about particular art pieces that we are going to show on the visual recording, you can find those on our Amberlight website. So amberlightinternational.org, and you go to activities, Friends of Amberlight, Tanya de Magalan, and you'll see the paintings that she'll be talking about. But for those of you at the recording, we'll be able to share screen and you'll be able to see them. So Tanya, where do you want to start? Wow, <laughs> it's a lot. It's it's a lot, right? And I, I really appreciate the introduction. I appreciate that you mentioned about my ancestry because indeed, I guess as a migrant, you always miss that. You always miss your roots. You always try to go back. And for me, you know, that has been one of the most important things in my journey, in my personal journey, in my professional, in my academic journey even, you know, and now in the spiritual path, I believe that going back to my roots has been essential. Finding out that indeed the stories of 
the many women in my family that have been so important for me in my life, they have been kind of relegated by patriarchy because, you know, I'm not going to deny that Mexican culture, as much as I love it, it has been contaminated by very patriarchal ideals. And many of those stories got relegated. Nobody, like a lot of us, you know, in the family, we knew about our grandfathers and about great stories about how they migrated or about their achievements. But we never really talk about the achievements of our grandmothers or great-grandmothers. And I started finding and being curious about who was my grandmother and my great-grandmother and all these women that have been a very important part of our lives. You know, like uh, my grandmother was, she was actually a very important healer in the community. She was a healer, a traditional healer, but she also uh, went to medical school. She became a medical doctor and she combined the two, uh, the two worlds, I guess, the, the Western medicine. And she also combined her ancestry all the knowledge and wisdom that she had into her own um, career. And she was very well known in the community. And I was like, you know, this is awesome. Why we don't talk about it? Why we don't bring this to, to our lives and, and tell it to our kids, you know? And, and as I dig more and more uh, into my ancestry, I find out that a lot of women in my family, they have gone through that path. They were healers. They were midwives. They were they involve in all these activities that are traditional and that they were very important in the community. And we didn't talk about it. So now as a migrant, I really, and as a woman, of course, I really feel that I have to get inspired by it. I have to bring these stories and, and tell these stories and, and paint and tell, retell these stories through my painting. So yeah, I'm glad that you brought this out because this is constant yeah, in my painting and in my uh, spiritual path. You started painting as a child, right? Mm -hmm. Was there something in particular that attracted you to painting? I grew up with my grandfather and my grandmother. They raised me in a great part. So I had a lot of influence from my grandfather. Uh, he was a muralist and he was an artist. And also my brother was an artist and my mother used to paint as well. So I guess I had a lot of influence from them. And also their uh, other family members, they were involved in crafts and, and uh, uh, different kinds of, uh, of artisan and uh, craft, traditional crafts. So I guess I, you know, it was almost unavoidable becoming an artist. It was in the right. family. It's, it's kind of like, right. you know, part of, uh, part of my life. But your interest early on, it wasn't about integrating the feminine sounds like you have some genetic influence to art <laughs> and culturally and in your family mm. um, and we talked about this a little bit when we were prepping for the talk people i've talked to who have gone to art school some of them have been crushed mm. what was your experience in art school well when i entered uh, i i started learning art and art in, 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 the, in the way that we know it now is, is very Western. And all the, actually in the schools that we have in Mexico, one of the main schools, uh, it was founded by Europeans in Mexico City. We have a, it's, it's a beautiful institution. 
but it's all European art. And as a woman being an artist, it was very difficult. It was very difficult because uh, you do get discrimination. Yeah, also being, you know, this is incredible, but uh, because you're in Mexico, you don't expect these things, but these things happen. We have something called colorism in Mexico, which is, you know, just another form of racism. If you have darker skin, you're going to be discriminated against. And our schools, especially those art schools that I, um, that I went to, they were, you know, very colorist, very racist in that matter and discriminatory. So it was really tough to, to being one of those, but I knew that that's what I wanted to do. Then I learned that, that the art that we learn, and this is everywhere, the art that we learn is, is very Western is based on the ideas of beauty of the West. You know, when you go to art school, you're not going to learn how to, you know, to, you don't learn how to do Mayan or Aztec styles, right? Or, you know, other Mexican styles of art. You learn the Western ideas of art. So it, it, I, it actually have that influence in my art. It's, it was impossible not to get that influence. I'm very academic. You know, I follow those rules, those proportions, and everything that I learned, it was from, from the academy, from, from those art institutions. But then again, you know, uh, I think my migration journey had a lot to do with that awakening of going back to my roots and, and to redefine what art meant to me and what art is. Because art right now for me is not a career to paint pretty canvases and decorate rooms, but it's more a, a ritual process. It's more, it's more like a personal journey. It's a spiritual journey. And it has to do more with, I believe I want to use the word magic. You know, I, I believe that has to, it has to do with more with, with magic and rituals and, um, and healing, especially healing. Well, I attended a, a, a presentation you gave where you talked about the alchemy in art mm. as the basis of your artistic process. Is that part of what you're, you're talking about? Yes, actually, when I say magic, I really mean that, uh, that transformative power that art has, uh, that process, the creative process, it has a property of really transforming the person that is holding the tools for creativity, whatever that is, you know, you, you don't even need, you know, pencils, you can just paint with your fingers. I really, you know, even like going back to, to the very first forms of art, which were in caves, you know, I don't think those uh, well, I, this is a theory, right? We didn't have that concept of art back then the way we have it now. It was a ritual. It was a process of uh, knowing each other, a collaboration process where you have to, or you involve in the, in the, in, in different forms of expression, not mm -hmm. verbal expression, but visual expression. And, and I believe that that is art. You know, this is a, a form of transformation, an expression, and a way to, to give yourself to the spectator, to give your, to share your journey, in other words. And I think one of the repercussions of that that we talked about is that it isn't just the artist who changes. 
but the people who view the art. Mm -hmm. That's been my experience looking at art. And also, again, I'm not a visual artist, but when I look back on the kind of art that I liked when I was younger, and then I see how it's changed with age and exposure and being more aware of different artists, my feeling of how I've changed in my spiritual path and I've become more open, all of a sudden, different kinds of art that I never would have appreciated when I was younger are speaking to me. And I find that really, really curious. Is there one of the examples that we have selected? Is there one you'd like to start that can represent a little of what we've been talking about? Well, I was, I had in my mind this painting is uh, titled, and she began to call it the dry land earth. It's a painting with a girl sitting in a lotus flower. And that painting is, uh, you know, it's very important to me because it represents femininity. It represents also my roots in terms of how my ancestors used to worship the goddesses. And goddesses were the, the representation of that creative power. They were the representation of a lot of things that are now are relegated to masculine powers. Uh, even, you know, we have gods of war, war and, and creation, and even the power of destruction was assigned to main gods. So at the same time, you know, I wanted to portray a goddess that was calm. She's a goddess. Uh, she's beginning her creation. And you can see this dry land that has not been uh, worked. And she's, uh, she's beginning the process of her creation. And she's calm. She's sitting in a lotus flower. The lotus flower is also very important for Mexicans. It's a type of white lotus flower. It's, it's similar to the Eastern lotus, but uh, this is white uh, or whitish in the middle is, uh, is yellow. And the lotus flower means growth, uh, spiritual growth. But this growth comes, comes from the bottom. Uh, I think uh, in the talk that I gave, Henry, the one you were talking about, uh, the one that I talked about alchemy, it represented a growth that was initiated in the darkness and in the bottom of uh, muddy waters. So that's the, the lotus, what the lotus represents, coming from, from the very bottom. And not only just the bottom, it's very muddy. It's a place where you cannot see anything, but it's also a place of creation. And it's a place where a lot of ideas can, can be chaotic, but also there are ideas that are, that are also creative. So you need the two to create, right? In the creative process, you need the two. And so what, that's what the lotus flower means. And the apple, uh, well, the apple is, is just a fruit. You know, we have uh, also uh, in Mexico, in Aztec and Mayan uh, mythologies, uh, mythology of creation, we have uh, fruits. We have different fruits that represent how everything is started. It's not like, you know, like how uh, in some religions um, in the West believe it, like it's like, the symbol of temptation or something like that, but it's more um, a fruit of wisdom that gives wisdom, that gives the power of inner growth and spirituality. So there she is, 
calmly sitting in a, in a, on a lotus flower. And she's also wearing, you know, very common clothes. I actually use my child as a model, which uh, is, you know, it's also, you know, something very important for me. And they agreed to, to pose for me to represent the divine feminine. And the blouses uh, that they're wearing, that she's wearing in that uh, picture, it has a pattern of the Lady of Guadalupe's dress. So I don't know if you know the Lady of Guadalupe, how she's wearing this beautiful red dress, which represents the earth, represents the femininity, because color red for ages has been a color that represents the femininity, represents reproductive cycles, and it represents everything that has to do with power of the divine feminine. So she's wearing that beautiful dress, and I chose to do that pattern on her blouse. And also, I tried to imitate the, the blue of her the Lady of Guadalupe's gown, and I tried to use the same blue for the for the sky, and that's a that's a blue that you know represents the sky, the heavens, and uh, superior spiritual powers. So the red and the blue are always present in my paintings. So yeah, the, this is is a very important painting for me in terms of the divine feminine. What was your experience painting it? Because you talk about how the artist is transformed when they paint. Mm -hmm. Yeah. As many of my paintings, you know, like I say, art is a ritual. And as any ritual is, is almost like a, you know, ceremony where before you start a painting, and, and I believe a lot of artists do that even without thinking, you know, when you light your candles or when you put some music, kind of like to start this uh, this ritual to be in the mood for to do this process for me this is absolutely personal you know this is a very personal experience where I'm also getting my child to pose you know that so this is uh, very intricate as well because I'm using my own blood in other words to create this this piece yes and yes. as I'm I'm working on the piece I'm I become the creator. I become the goddess and the, the the embodiment of the goddess and her powers. So I'm creating her. And at the same time, the goddess is creating me. So this is a collaborative process. This is the art of the ancients where the gods are not just there up there watching us, but they're collaborating with us. We create them and they create us at the same time. So that's the feeling that I get when I paint is that I'm the goddess and I'm being created at the same time as the images start coming out. They're also reinventing who I am. Right. Thank you so much for sharing that. I want to give people a chance to make any comments or any questions about this painting before we move on. Karima? Thank you so much for the richness of your stories. I just am so moved by it. And I love that this is your daughter. And I'm really touched. I've never, I love painting and playing, but, and I love color. 
but to hear you describe each of the symbols. And I love this last part also that you pulled it, kind of integrated it all of creating and then being created, that collaborative aspect. Because there's times when I'm painting images, I tend to do, it seems like, I don't know, certain fantasy images come out. I, I just have a hard time drawing realistic, but I've always felt like something of spirit is coming through. Mm-hmm. And I'm not attached to it. It's just been a, a deep, soulful joy and pleasure. And I stepped away until more recently from painting. And I've just started at the new year. And I, so I thank you. I'm so moved by your beautiful work. Thank you, Karima. So you've talked some about, I mean, I know you're a very spiritual person. Is there another selection that uh, you could talk a little more about? We've already talked about the spiritual influence, but a little bit, a little bit more in that area. You know, I changed the titles in Spanish and then in English because sometimes I translate them in in, in English and they don't make sense. But it's the one that is uh, there is uh, the water and there's two females. I call it rebirth in English, but in Spanish it has this long la Inmaculada Concepción a destiempo, something like Immaculate Conception without time. I don't know if that makes sense. <laughs> this painting, you know, it, it, it's also with the idea of going back to those uh, roots and to really to the cosmovision of my ancestors. But it's based also in a very personal experience. I use this constant symbol of the moon. The moon, you know, in many cultures, is, it represents, again, fertility and reproductive cycles. In this case, I'm also using it as a, f- a femininity symbol. I usually use it as a boat. In Egypt, this boat represented the boat that takes you to the other world, to the world of the dead and to the, re- the a spiritual realm. So it's a boat, but it's also a moon, and it has that power to take you to the to a different realm. And the realm that I'm talking here is the realm of death. This painting is based on a stillbirth that I went through. That's why it's so personal. But the whole experience of death, you know, in, in my culture, in Mexican culture, is very cherished. Death is not a negative experience, but it's part of life. It's life. Death is, it just means life. And as it Painful as, as it may be, that carries a lot of wisdom. When I was doing this painting, I was thinking of the day of the death and, and how, I don't know if you have celebrated the day of the dead in Mexico, but people go to the cemetery and there is a, a woman, which is a usually indigenous woman. She's leading the, the it's like a pilgrimage. A procession around the uh, the cemetery, saying prayers and chants, and I believe it's a beautiful ritual where the women are leading all the processions. And same thing, I thought about how women have led various rituals, midwife, midwifery, and they have led all these processes that involves uh, happiness and also sadness. And, you know, my ancestors, my grandmother, uh, she was a midwife and she had to witness a lot of stillbirths and she had to witness, you know, happiness and also pain. 
And she was there. She had to be a companion of these women that became not only her patients, but also friends and sisters. And in this picture, you know, I see myself with another woman that is a saint. You know, she has this, this hello. And I believe women who are there, not only in childbirth, but also that they suffered in childbirth, in childbirth, but also the, the women that uh, are companions to those who are in the process of labor and, and go through different processes, including the loss of a child, uh, they're saints. They're, they also become the embodiment of the goddess. So this experience, going through this experience, made me feel that when I was going through that, those women, my mother, my aunt, like all the women in my family, they supported me. I mean, I had the, the support also of my husband. Of course, I, I had the support of my brother. I had the support of, but the support of the uh, women, it was essential to me because we knew what we were talking about. We knew the pain. We knew the, the pain of losing a child. And it's something that, you know, I feel that only us know how how that really feels. You know, that that whole experience was, uh, you know, incredibly, you know, important for me, you know, in terms of, of learning, uh, in terms of making me feel more close to the women of my family and to my roots again, you know. Great, thank you. Yeah, that's a wonderful painting. Can we look at the painting with the woman and the serpent? Yes. It's not quite completed yet, right? Yeah, it's pretty much finished. You know, artists, we always want to add more and more to it. Uh, and this painting is just uh, fascinating to me. It has a lot of energy. The main elements are very visible, right? They're just there, the snake and the hair. Her hair, I, I think I spent a lot of time on doing that hair, like, you know, the details in the hair were very important. And again, the apple and the roses and the symbol here of the snake is, is something that probably a lot of you know, that the snake means wisdom, but at the same time, it means the spiritual journey. Same as the lotus flower, it represents growing from the bottom. And the snake, actually, in many cultures, it represented, and this is, uh, I was when I did this painting, I was thinking about Aboriginal Australians, actually. But in many cultures uh, that are maybe early Neolithic, but really, I'm talking about the Paleolithic, you know, where a lot of symbols of the snake were clearly related to women's menstruation cycle. So in this case, in the, in the case of the Aboriginal Australians, the snake, the rainbow snake, represents the cycle of free birth that cannot be possible but the menstruation the you know the blood of of uh, the uh, women in many cultures they recreated this ritual even uh, you know men uh, try to mutilate or cut themselves to recreate that process that females went through every month these paintings are, you know, very common uh, where they represent the snake, the color red, and females. So in this painting, this is what I'm representing. The color of her hair, that's the, the red uh, used for 
to represent that uh, fertility power, but not only fertility power, but the power of uh, having the ability to access to the other realm. So women were thought that they had that power to be in both in both realms. For example, some cultures, not only Mexico, other cultures, but I'm going to say the indigenous because this is what I know the most, the indigenous peoples in Mexico believe that when a, when a woman is menstruating, she opens a portal to the other side. And that's what the snake means, just having access to that portal and, be, and having the ability to be to cross uh, from one realm to the other. And that happens uh, naturally in her cycles. And the hair, and the hair has a lot of power as well. The hair also represents fertility. In some cultures, they cut the hair of a girl who is menstruating and spread it on the the crops so that the crops grow uh, fertile and that they grow beautifully and that the earth is, is, um, the soil becomes uh, more fertile. So yeah, the hair represents power. Uh, In some cultures, uh, they believe that the hair has so much power, that the hair of a menstruating girl uh, has so much power that when she's menstruating, sometimes they cover because they they believe that it attracts uh, thunderstorms. That how powerful it is, and this is some uh, cultures in Africa. So the power of uh, women is well known in non-West in a lot of non-Western cultures, and and this is what I'm trying to kind of bring bring back through my paintings: her power, her glory, her virtue, all these things uh, that have been kind of forgotten especially in the, in the in, in, you know, patriarchal religions. The veil, you know, I wear a veil uh, for spiritual reasons. I am a Muslim. Um, uh, I, I follow the Muslim path in a very Sufi spiritual way, although I do go back to my roots when I wear the veil because the veil is not exclusive of the Middle East. In Mexico, a lot of women, they wear a veil. The Aztecs, for example, believe that also the head and the hair had a lot of power. So in certain times, they had to wear something on their heads to protect some, uh, the tonali. Tonali is the head. Tonali is a Nahuatl word that means destiny, that means energy, that means the warmth of the sun that is conserved and contained in your hair and your head. And it means the soul of the uh, human beings. So women of status and males, uh, they wore something on their heads to protect that power and that energy. For me, the hair, it has a lot of importance in terms of spiritual power. And this is what I'm representing here as well. So, you know, I love this painting. I had the good fortune to see different stages of this. And right from the beginning, it, it jumped out at me. And I think that's before you colored the hair red. Mm-hmm. I think so. I think even before then. And some of us are studying shamanism together. And that was one, one that seemed to resonate with me. But the power that comes through this, to me, just, it gives me goosebumps. And it's it's the young woman and her posture, the power that comes through, and then you add the color. I, I think it's a spectacular painting. Thank you, Henry. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I appreciate it. Yeah. Anybody else have any comments before we move on? 
just profound the mastery you have. You're amazing. I just love your storytelling and what you've been creating. Thank you so much. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, Christina. You know I adore your work, but it reminds you, me, me too, Tanya, of I can see the influence of Frida Kahlo, right, in your work. I don't know if she was a an inspiration, but your work does remind me of hers. And uh, in the use of color and the shape and the maybe not so much she was focused on other on other representations, but had that similar strength and power. I love, absolutely adore your work, of course, and so unique and creative. And I just wanted to add that in our culture, in Greek culture, the apple in my, actually in my family, in our village, that the apples were used in wedding ceremonies for fertility and for mm. prosperity. That they mm. were, and, and they were, they were eaten by women for fertility and they were, also, they would take in at weddings and stuffed with money and thrown back into the villagers, kind of like the bouquet, but it would mm. actually do that. So yeah, very similar connections. But I also love, you didn't really talk about the flowers, right? And the, the gold at the top and the crown and the red connecting with the earth and very beautiful. Just a woman in her sovereignty. And who is the inspiration for the figure again? The, the I guess, goddess. yeah, I, you know what, I guess all, uh, all females uh, are the inspiration, but I was thinking about the Cuatlicue, the yeah. Cuatlicue, who is an Aztec goddess, you know, she was the mother of many gods, including Quetzalcoatl, and many versions of the myth, and she had a skirt of snakes. She's also surrounded by snakes, and I love her so much. And uh, she became, she was so important for, for the Aztecs. And when the Spaniards came, they switched her into the Lady of Guadalupe. But really, it was the same for them. It was the same for the indigenous. They just switched them, and they say to the Spaniards, yes, yes, we believe in, in, your, in your new gods. But it was, it was really the same thing. And it still is the same thing for many for many communities, Cuatlicue and the Lady of Guadalupe. She inspires me uh, for the uh, for for you know the image that she represented. Of course, you know other cultures always inspire me because females and a snake have been always representing the symbol of rebirth and this spiritual journey to the to a spiritual um, realm. She was the flower maiden. How did you describe? The cuatlicue. Cuatlicue means the one with the skirt of snakes or serpents. So it's interesting because in North African culture, there's Anath, who is later part of Athena, and Anath had a skirt of snakes. Uh, the women who are priestesses to her, I don't really, <laughs> it was not really snakes that they would use to adorn, but parts of male anatomy that were sacrificed to her. And so I didn't know if that was similar to, mm. but it's, it's interesting. They would call it the skirt of snakes. Mm. And um, anyway, just That's for- so interesting. Oh, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, yeah, then definitely. I mean, the flowers also, right? Like uh, when you mentioned the flowers, the flowers are always present, you know, they're in Mexican rituals in the day of the dead, uh, Flowers are always 
present as a, a symbol of honoring the dead and the living as well. You know, it's, it's they're always there to also represent beauty and in this case, fertility and power. And the flowers are all open. They're in, you know, in bloom and they're big and, you know, it's just representing her character, how she's, you know, so powerful. I like the apple too, you know, in this case, I guess it does represent that kind of like the Adam and Eve apple, you know, but she's like, you know, eating the apple, like saying, I don't regret anything and I will do it all over again. <laughs> you know, it's, it's that attitude. So what? This is me. This, I'm powerful. And, and the apple means wisdom, right? The apple means wisdom. And, and she's all wise. Uh, she's a goddess. She's also a, a creator. And she creates and reinvents herself every time, every month. And she will do it all over again for the sake of doing it, for enjoying herself. In this case, I believe that that she has that attitude and, and of, uh, you know, of power and, and love for, for herself as well and, and, um, and who she is. So I, I really love this painting too. <laughs> it's remarkable because the way that you've captured the movement of her power, like you can just see it, it brings it to life mm. uh, in all of the lines and color, everything, the way that it's composed, it's beautiful, really stunning. I like, I like the way you put it, Christina, that it, it's a woman in her sovereignty. Yeah, I that, like it, yeah. It really captures that. So those of you that are listening, please go to the website and take a look at the paintings, and it'll be obvious which one we're talking about, the woman biting into an apple when a serpent coils around her. Talking about this made me think that you've expressed how you purposely put in certain symbols, but you weren't aware of the connection that Christina knew of. and. That's just so intriguing because, you know, Jung talks about the collective unconscious and he ha he describes experiences in his autobiography about having images come to him and he didn't know where they came from. And they were in mythology that he hadn't been exposed to. But when he did his research, he discovered them. And I can't help think that, you know, my reaction to that painting, I don't know the mythology that you were talking about. But the power came through and it, you know, that has to do with me. It has to do with the painting. But but I think it has to do with the roots you're talking about also that we may not even be aware of, but the art can evoke this visceral reaction and we may not know where it's coming from. And so I think as we're starting to explore this, I want to keep in mind that, yes, there's purposeful symbolism that the artist is using. I may have personal associations to elements of the painting that come from my own personal experiences. But I think we're also, with this kind of painting, we're plugging into something we may not be consciously aware of. And that has to be part of the power of paintings that are coming from an artist who is so passionate about her roots and bringing that through. So I wanted to take that as a chance to maybe talk a little more about the influence of your spiritual path. You mentioned you're a Muslim and you're a Sufi initiate, and I know you're serious about that. Can you speak a little bit about how that is influencing your art or how the art has influenced that or what's what's the nature of, their, of that relationship? Mm. I like saying that 
I'm a, a revert, right? Instead of convert. <laughs> and, and I think that uh, has to do with the art as well, as uh, art is, uh, is my tool to reinvent myself every time and going back to my roots. So when I became a Muslim or when I reverted, right, when I went back to my Islamic roots, it was really to go back to those connections also uh, with my with my family. But again, you know, I I think about Islam as, as a path where it's no religion. To me, I don't see it as a religion. I don't see Islam as a, as a religious uh, path. It's just, for me, it's just a spiritual, a spiritual path where I have, uh, I have had the opportunity to know a lot of, of, of these symbols. And Islam took me to Sufism, which is, you know, the core of Islam and the core of uh, really many religions where religion stops being a religion is, is you, you really find that everything Everything that religions talk about, uh, all these rules and regulations become unimportant when we see the core. The core of these truths really cover everything, everything that religion is supposed to be about. And in the case of my art, it has, uh, I guess it's also collaborative, right? Uh, I think my spiritual path has influenced the way I see art. And are at the same time, it has a great influence in how in how I define myself as a Muslim. And and I'm I'm gonna tell you an example of how of how that happens. You know, I I don't you know I always say I'm not a regular Muslim. You know, I, I have had friends that ask me, well, why are you painting naked people? <laughs> right? Uh, somebody got even mad at me. I got scolded. You know, because I I used to go to um, to the studio to see the models and paint them. And the models, well, they wear no clothes. Yet, you know, I wear my hijab, mostly covered. And uh, I guess what it changes is the purpose. I don't cover myself. I don't wear the hijab out of modesty. I wear a hijab. It's a symbol for me, a spiritual symbol. Again, is for me, it's a symbol of power. As I explained a little bit before, the symbology and the power that the body and the hair and the female hair has for me is very is a very strong element for me. And I don't only do it for for the sake of uh, religion, but it's also part of my roots. Even as a Mexican, we call it in Mexico we call it the rebozo. A lot of females use rebozo in Mexico. For me, being a Muslim and an artist is always a process of reinventing myself and discovering a lot of things about who I am, about my roots in the spiritual path, you know, because you're in this spiritual path, you never end, you never stop discovering and learning. And I'm always learning and, and art is the same. And, and I believe that it, it, it just influences each other. They just constantly reinventing and influencing each other. Yeah, I so appreciate you saying that. In the Sufi path we share, we've been talking a lot lately in our classes about co-creating. Not in an inflated sense, in a sense that whatever that universal power is, it's here with us, and we're in this together, and we're moving together. Another student of mine, who we've been studying process theology and the work of Alfred North Whitehead, which is really a trip. And you know, my summary is Rabbi Cooper and Buckminster Fuller said this, God is a verb. 
it's a process, it's not static. And it sounds like in your life, that's your art and that's you, you're not static, you're changing, you're learning and it's working together. You're integrating that and you're letting it be expressed in your art. And as a lover of your art, it's changing me. I mean, appreciating that. And, you know, I'm thinking about the pictures you've shown. There was a young woman on the Lotus. And then there were the two female figures who were naked. And you were talking about the stillbirth and, and motherhood. And then there was this powerful picture of uh, the woman with the apple and the serpent with a sheer dressing gown or something. And I'm thinking about it that as a male, it's really making me appreciate, I'll go back to what Christina said, the sovereignty of women. It's a sovereignty that we all have. But like you said in the beginning of the podcast, it always seems to be accentuated with the men. You know, we talk about the things that men have done. And you have a way of getting this through without words, just in the power of the images. Thank you so much for sharing how, how this is working with you. But I want to go one step further because you're now training as a mental health counselor. So you're an artist, and I know you're also an activist. A lot of that's coming out through your art, but also you're very committed to social justice and especially the plight of immigrants and the disadvantaged. And now you're taking another step into me mental health counseling, and it's not just art therapy, correct? Yes, yes. I, I think that art, the, the creative process itself, I, I like calling it the creative process because um, sometimes when I say art, people believe that it has to be the way we see it in, in the great museums, you know, like the Chapel 16 and, you know, wow, <laughs> you know, all these, and, and, it's, and I'm not, I'm, of course, I, I love all the great artists that have, you know, taught me a lot. Although art as a creative process is, is a natural element in every human, you know, whether you want to to sing, whether you want to compose uh, poetry, anything that involves creativity, painting, sculpting, you know, anything. Every time I see a child, you know, and and they see my, all these, I have all these uh, crayons and, and, and all kinds of paint here in my studio. And they come here and they, you know, their eyes, they're like wide open and they want to touch it and they want to use it. And I don't know, is that instinct? I don't know. You know, they just, you know, they start scribbling and pouring paint all over and they get so excited. And I believe that I continue to have that excitement. And there is a lot of people that feel, you know, they have this, this uh, very good feeling, a, a feeling of wellness when they start creating, when they start exploring, when they start experimenting with the different materials. And, and, and art gives you that. The creative process gives you that, the opportunity to explore yourself because it's also a tool to gain insights but also to express yourself in a form that is not non-verbal and and i i like art because of that because it, it gives you a, a different it's a different tool a tool that has been used for non-western cultures right we value the the power of verbal communication in the west which is important 
Although I believe that nonverbal cues through the creativity is, is as important and sometimes even in some cases more effective in some cases. And, and like I said, it just gives you that sense of wellness. It gives you that sense of connection. It gives you the sense of I'm expressing myself in a way that and say things that don't have words. I don't have the words to express this. I cannot find the words to express these feelings. And this is what I'm really focusing on right now. I'm trying to integrate as much as I can the art in the in the mental health because it, it's so important. You know, um, I believe it's essential part of human beings since since forever. I mean, we can see paintings in the caves that are like even 40,000 years old. How fascinating is that art has been with us like forever. You know, it's undeniable that art is part of who we are. It's a tool to to explore, to express, to even to connect with others in a, in a non-verbal way. So Tanya, what are your plans? Give us an update on what your plans are. Right now, it really um, involves a lot of, of time to be in the mental health field. I need to stop, unfortunately. I mean, I want to integrate the arts uh, in the mental health, but right now I really need to focus on in the school. So right now is 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 really um, going to take a lot of my time to do this. But eventually my plan is to keep painting, to keep doing this uh, for the community as well. I have been involved in, in collaborations and public art. I want to keep doing that to share this with others so that others can also become part of the uh, creative process. And yeah, just to, to bring this gift to others. But also, you know, in, in terms of the divine feminine, which is also my, you know, one of the m- most important things in, in my spiritual journey to bring back the divine feminine elements, to value the power of, of the femininity, to value the power of the women that have contributed greatly to our communities. And, and as a woman of color, I, I have to speak for for uh, for and with, along with other women of color that are also, uh, and, and have done great things for, for their communities, which uh, a lot of that has to do with healing their communities and, and generational trauma and such, you know, and, and involved in, um, in activism because at, at the same time, you know, mental health cannot happen without social justice. So these are my plans to continue doing this, Henry. Do you have any paintings on exhibit anywhere right now? I still have some public art in uh, 17 Main Street. I No, 17 Main Street, I believe. There is a building where I have some collaborative art that I did um, with another artist and was presented by Rocco. And I have a piece, uh, the uh, Mara Ahmed studio. We can share the websites maybe at some point. It's a story uh, in Spanish, but it's, uh, it's translated in English. Uh, and what else I have? I'm, I'm not sure if the piece uh, glass ceiling is still at the Rochester Museum and Science Center. I think it's still there. Somebody told me, hey, I just saw your piece. That was like a couple of months ago. So I don't know <laughs> if it's still there. It's an installation in the third floor. So... For those of you that are listening, this this is all in Rochester, New York. Yes, yes. Well, it's been a trip. And I know you're a wonderful collaborator. 
And I know like you've collaborated with Christina on a project. Yes, uh, yes. But, you know, my experience with you is you walk your talk. I love being around you. You're inviting, you're a collaborator, and uh, you're a mover, and you stand up with your sovereignty, and you'll do that with with many different people. I, I just so appreciate that and love that about you. Thank you. Henry. So you do have a website, demagalonart.com. Yes. But there's also a few more paintings. Why don't we kind of close with that? If you can, can you put the other paintings up just so we can take a quick look? For those of you that are just listening to the podcast, you'll have to go to the website, amberlightinternational.org under activities. But here are some of her other paintings. This, I'm proud to say, is in our living room. And uh, there are a couple of other ones that we didn't talk about. That's the skull and flowers. And then there's, uh, yeah, what have you titled this one? Uh, Legs and feet over the ocean and an apple again. Did you give that a title? I don't recall if it has a, a title in, in Spanish, probably. But usually, and this is funny, this is the hardest thing for me to do, like title my painting. And she rested. Yes, yes. And okay. sometimes, like I say, I put the titles in Spanish. When I translate them, it makes no sense. <laughs> <laughs> I think there was one more we had up on our website. That's womanhood. Yes. So a young woman holding... It looks like a cow skull. Yes. Yes. It inspires me to go out and appreciate art and just see art and let it move me. We're showing another one for those of you that are just listening. That's a, I don't even know how to describe that one. No, it's a, it's a woman that is uh, in a fetal position and roots are coming out of her feet. Yes. And, uh, you know, it's, it looks like a, like a, like a tunnel or something like I don't know how to describe it but uh, she's in a womb-like place where she's being uh, reborn. Very powerful and again even without analyzing the images just the impression they make you know it's having an effect. Thank you again for letting us show your art and for sharing your art on our website and for taking the time to being on the podcast. I hope we have a chance to do this again. So keep painting. I know some people are going to be very anxious to see your paintings and perhaps even buy them when they're completed. That's a personal joke. I love your time. Thank you very much. And I love you, Henry. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Thank you all for coming. And don't forget, visit our website and enjoy the paintings. And while you're there, take a look at the other things that we do at Amberlight. If you find yourself enjoying our podcast, please do us a favor and spread the word. Tell a friend about it. Give us a review on iTunes or post it on social media. If you or someone you know would like to participate in a future podcast, please connect with us through the Contact Us page. See our events calendar page for dates to our next live podcast recordings. We'd love for you to participate and ask questions. And be sure to check out Joel Lessie's podcast, Unraveling Religion, on your favorite podcast app. Alchemical Dialogues are live and unscripted conversations recorded on Zoom, brought to you by the great folks of Amber Light International, a non-profit organization co-founded by Henry Cortella, MD, and Kathleen Fitzpatrick, LCSW. We choose topics from our current social and cultural climate with an emphasis on humanism and spirituality.